I just want to say real quick, um, this morning I have been just flooded with encouragement and little comments, uh, text messages this morning from different people just letting me know they're praying for me. I just want to thank you guys as a church body for your admonishment, your encouragement. Um, that's something really special. Bethany and I are just so appreciative to be a part of this group, so thank you very much for that. Um, we all love a good nativity scene, right? I mean, we love it so much we've got it on our church stage. It's like one of the most iconic symbols when it comes to the Christmas season. We love a good nativity scene. We love baby Jesus. We love love the parents, Mary and Joseph. We love the animals. We love the angel with the star. We just love a good nativity scene. If you, uh, you know, you probably have one set up maybe in your yard. Uh, Maybe you have a smaller set um, in your house somewhere, maybe on your mantle. Uh, But we all love a good nativity set, so I figured the best way to start my message today is to play a little game, uh, if you're willing. Uh, I am going to throw some nativity sets up on the screen, and here's how you play. First of all, you just have to sit there, so so far you guys are are nailing it, okay? (laughs) And I just need you to to think to yourself, what's wrong with this picture? So if we could put the first one up there, okay, so... (laughs) Okay, well, you laugh, but if you're a dog lover, you probably do this to your pet every year. So uh, this actually, I found this on the internet, and uh, the title made me laugh. It's called Fleas Navi Dog. So I thought that was awesome, Fleas Navi Dog. That's pretty funny. Uh, but it's easy to look at that and say, okay, there's something wrong with that picture. If we can go to the next one, please. Okay, yeah, this, wow. This is Wrong on a whole lot of levels, okay? This is like, it appears to be a nativity made of hot dogs and bacon. So, like, if you really want to be in the Christmas spirit, you don't only, like, set up a nativity, but you eat it as well, okay? Uh, Can you imagine the look on your in-laws' faces at Christmas dinner when you just, like, you plop that thing on the table? Uh, So, yeah, but it's easy to look at that and say, okay, there's, there's something wrong with that picture. Can you go to the next slide? Okay, so this is... This is what we're used to, right? This is something we see and we go, oh, okay, that's, that's right. That's what a nativity is. Uh, you know, it's got, it's got Mary and Joseph. It's got baby Jesus. It's got the sheep. It's got the shepherds. You know, it could maybe have like an angel and some wise men. But more or less, we look at this image and we say, okay, you know, this is, this is what we're looking for here. This makes complete sense. Uh, here's the thing, though, if we were living back in the time of Jesus when he was walking around doing his ministry and we saw this image, it would make no sense at all. In fact, it would actually be nearly unbelievable to see something like this. There's just so much in this picture that's mind blowing. Never mind the fact that God himself has chosen to incarnate himself in human flesh. That's amazing as it is. The concept of Emmanuel, God with us. That's amazing that the creator so big would decide to become so small to come dwell with his people on earth. That's already amazing enough. Never mind the fact that he's born in what was essentially a wet cave. I mean, that's just incredible. You know, Jesus was not born in some nice palace uh, surrounded by a lot of different royalty and kings. No, he was, he was born in a manger. That is amazing in and of itself, too. No, when we look at this picture and we say there's something wrong with that, we're looking at these men off to the side here. We're looking at the shepherds. Because if we lived back then and I told you a king was born the other day and there were shepherds present, you guys would laugh at me. The fact that somebody like a shepherd would be present at the birth of a king is unbelievable. And then, you know, in preparation for this message, I did 
just some historical research on what a shepherd was back in those days. And we kind of have an idea. I mean, when we look at Scripture, uh, we ourselves kind of tend to romanticize uh, the shepherd and, and, and his vocation. And, you know, why not? Like, it's kind of a thing for us to, to be romanticized. I mean, it's, it's probably safe to say it was the first occupation that there ever was, right? I mean, in Genesis, it says that Adam had dominion over the animals, so he was a shepherd of sorts. Uh, his son Abel was certainly a shepherd. Uh, just a lot of important men in Israel's history. They were shepherds, too. I mean, King David, the most beloved king in the history of that nation. He began humbly as a shepherd boy. In fact, we love those stories about David. We love the stories of him fending off bears and lions to protect his sheep. We love shepherds in Scripture. We love that the prophets point to a shepherd that would come save us. We love everything about the idea of shepherd. When I say uh, the book of Psalms in your head, you're probably going to Psalm 23, the most famous psalm, which says the Lord is my shepherd. And your head is flooded with all these images of being laid down in green pastures, being led by still waters, you know, being comforted by his rod and staff. To, to be a shepherd, in our minds, that's a good thing. We think so positively of shepherds. Unfortunately, our perception was not their reality. It was very hard to be a shepherd in those days. And I actually have a slide about what life as a shepherd was like. Okay, so for the life of a shepherd, there were some things that they just really missed out on. To be a shepherd was to be out of the loop. It was to be excluded more or less. A shepherd could not observe the Sabbath, uh, at least the way it was intended. Uh, You see, a shepherd, their job required them to constantly be on the lookout, to constantly be supervising their sheep. And so to attain religious purity as the Pharisees and teachers of the law would have defined it, It was just impossible for them. And a shepherd, his witness and his word in court, for one reason or another, it held absolutely no weight. If you were a shepherd, your word meant nothing. And then lastly, something I had never really thought about, but it's pretty obvious. A shepherd, because of what their job is, because of what they were looking after, most of the year, a shepherd would be isolated from the rest of society. If you're a shepherd, for most of the year, the people you're around are just other shepherds and sheep, but you can't really have a conversation with them. To be a shepherd, you were the ultimate blue-collar worker. You were neglected, and you gave everything, and you got very little. Life as a shepherd was hard. And so we, we hear that, and we understand that, and then the question arises, well, why were shepherds present at the birth of a king? Because when a king is born, that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. I I read an article the other day uh, on Prince George over across the pond in England, and he was born uh, back in 2013. I think he's third in line to the throne or something. And I read an article about his birth a few years ago. Uh, This article just kind of chronicles the whole thing, and I took just a little snippet from it, and I want to read that to you real quick. It said this, Outside half the world was waiting. Hundreds of reporters were gathered in the streets, sending live pictures of the hospital to millions of people across the planet. Social networks were frantic with wonder about when the baby would come, how much it would weigh, whether it would be a boy or a girl, what it would be called. Such speculation radiates from family and friends when a child is about to be born, but in this case, it was radiating to the ends of the earth. More than half a million people tweeted about the boy, 
And the Archbishop of York called him a great gift of God. And you know, that all, that all makes perfect sense to me because when a king is born, it's a big deal. So this, this Prince George, he enters the world in about as much glory as there could be. And you know, it's not because he's like this really egotistical infant. He has no control of that or anything. But it's because when a king's born, we know that's a big deal. We celebrate. And half the world wants to know everything about this boy, what he's going to be named, what he's going to do, what he's going to look like. Everybody's waiting at the edge of their seat to see this king born. But you know what? My king was not born that way. And it's, it's just the most amazing concept to think about, you know, just the way that God chose to enter our world. Oswald Chambers, this uh, a great late writer uh, who has really helped form my faith, uh, he said this. He said, don't worry about being a profound person. After all, God came to earth as a baby. And I just think that's an incredible reminder that our God, who is so mighty, who is so great and powerful, our God, who is so big that we can barely even grasp him, he chose to come down as a human infant, one of the most helpless creatures that there is. God came to earth in such a humble way. There was no glory. It's almost like he came down without notice. He just kind of slipped into our world. And when we understand that and we understand the humility with which God entered our world, we ask ourselves that question again. Why were shepherds present at the birth of a king? And all of a sudden, it starts to make a little bit of sense. In fact, after I started looking through that lens, I realized, well, well, who else would be at this birth but shepherds? Who else would be there? There's no one better to be at this birth. And it makes me wonder what it was like for them on that cold night. And if you have your Bibles, I'm reading out of Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start uh, in verse 8. So feel free if you want to to join me there. Um, and I'm just going to dive right in. It says this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, born this day in the city of David, is a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And I want to stop there for a minute, because this angel utters what I believe is one of the greatest sentences of all time because it's a sentence that just keeps getting better with every word. He says this, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. When he says the phrase good news, we get that from the Greek word euangelion, okay? And we get our word evangelize from that word. And well, what does it mean to evangelize? Well, it means to share the gospel, it means to share the good news. And what is the gospel? It's that we have a Savior. We have a Savior who came down and, and he died for us. So it's not just news. It's, it's good news. And then we come to, to the good news of great joy. And the word for great there in the Greek is megas. And we get our word mega from that. And you know, if you've ever used the word mega, you probably haven't used it lightly. I mean, mega means great, awesome, amazing, okay? So the angel's saying, listen, I don't only have news, I have the good news. And it's not only of joy, it's of the greatest joy. And it's not only just for one person or one people group. It is for all people. And what I love about that is the angel is telling this to shepherds. So these people who probably more than just about anyone in their society are out of the loop. 
people who are excluded, people who don't really know what's going on in society. There's a disconnect there. They are the first ones to hear this amazing sentence. Behold, I bring good news of great joy for all people. And I just want to know how they reacted when that, they heard that. The text tells us they were afraid, but I want to know what was going on in their hearts when they realized that the Savior is here, and He's not just for kings. He's not just for the rich. He's not just for those who are wealthy and important. This is a Savior from, for everybody in the world. It says this, uh, verse 12, it says, This will be a sign for you. Uh, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel... Uh, there is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace be among those with whom he is pleased. The angels went away from them into heaven and the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Excuse me. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. That's so important because the shepherds, not only do they hear of this news, but the shepherds get to see it with their own eyes. That's, it's such an interesting scenario. And, you know, their, their conversation with the angel, it's formatted in such an odd way because the angel says all these exciting things about a savior who's going to come and it's going to be great and it's for everybody. But then he says this, he says, oh, and by the way, you'll find him um, wrapped up in some old rags and he'll just be in a, a manger. But then the angels come and there's this glorious celebration. So they're kind of confused and they're saying, wait a minute. So he's the savior of the world, but he's just going to be born in a, in a manger. And I wonder if, like, on their way to go see the baby, they were talking amongst each other, like, there's no way. Like, he's not going to be in a manger. We're, we're going to run into some big palace, and we're not even going to be able to go inside and see the baby. But then they go over a hill, and they look down, and they, they see the scene. They see the baby lying there, and he is in rags. And he is in a humble manger. And I wonder if they looked at each other and said, man, he's kind of like us. Who else, who else would be at the birth of Jesus but a shepherd? Because, you know, it's, it's funny, we, 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 we think it's strange, we think it's weird that somebody so underwhelming, so humble, uh, so blue-collar would be at the birth of a king, but maybe the king came to earth because he was going to be a shepherd too. And I want to encourage you guys today with this thought. This is the first thing I want to say. You have a Savior who can relate with you on every level. Isn't that encouraging? You know, we all, we all you know, kind of gr- gravitate towards people we can actually relate to. We have something in common with, okay? Uh, you know, when we're around people who are completely different from us, that can kind of be uncomfortable. Uh, my friends and I, uh, just last weekend, we were hanging out in Kansas City, uh, and we had a buddy who was from Kentucky, so he was actually staying in a hotel down there. It's the Marriott in downtown Kansas City. So I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but it's a, it's a really nice hotel. So after we hung out, we all walked him up to his room, and we went to the second floor. We had to walk across this huge open space. And as we walk through it, we start to notice that the people there are dressed, like, really, really nicely. 
Okay, they've got tuxedos on. Uh, there's like a band in the corner with like a really nice piano and like a cello. Everybody's like, you know, twirling their wine glasses, you know, and sipping. And I am like 90% sure at some point I saw the actual Monopoly guy somewhere. I mean, we're talking, it was, it was high class, okay? And, and we, were, we weren't dressed like bums or anything, but I just kind of dressed how I normally would. And we're walking through there and we could feel every single eye on us. It's almost like the music stopped or something and everybody turned and looked at us. My friend Skylar, I kid you not, uh, made eye contact with one of these men in tuxedos and he said, hey, how are you? And the man did this. Hmm. (laughs) We were so uncomfortable. And you know, there's, there's just not a whole lot for us to relate to with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with either party. We're just, you know, there's not a whole lot in common. But I think about my mom who's going to be at the 11 o'clock service. Uh, She's going to come up and and listen. Uh, And my mom is a youth minister. She's done youth ministry for years and years now. Um, And for me to have a conversation with with her about student ministry, that looks different than me having a conversation with anyone else in this room. Not that that wouldn't be a good conversation to talk to you about student ministry, but to talk to my mother who, who has experienced the difficulties, uh, the challenges, but also the joys and the, the, the highs and the lows of student ministry. That's somebody who I know has gone through what I have gone through. She's experienced what I've experienced. And so to have that conversation with her is that much more special. And you guys, I, I want you to understand that that's what we have with Jesus. We have a Savior who has experienced what we've experienced. He's gone through what we've gone through. We serve a king who, though he sat up in heaven and, and he's infinite and he's all powerful, he decided, I'm going to put on flesh. I'm going to come down. I'm going to dwell among you. I'm going to have to relearn how to walk and to talk. I'm going to poop my diaper. I'm going to have to have people feed me while I'm young. I am going to just experience everything that a human would have to experience. You know, you guys, you experience sin, and I'm going to contend with sin as well, uh, though I won't give in to it. I'm going to walk this earth. I'm going to suffer. I know everything you could possibly go through. That is my encouragement for today. Our Savior knows not just what humanity goes through. He knows what you go through. C.S. Lewis, he says this, he says, Christ didn't die for mankind. He died for each man. And if you were the only person on this earth, he would have done no less. And that's amazing, isn't it? So, so for you today, if you say, well, you know, I, I feel rejected. Well, guess what? Your Savior was rejected. If you say, well, I feel like an outcast. Your Savior was an outcast. If you say, I feel abandoned, well, the Savior was abandoned. If you feel like you don't have a place to call home, well, the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. If you feel like people just don't understand you, Jesus was followed by 12 guys, his whole ministry, who just never seemed to get it. Our Savior knows everything that you have gone through and anything that you have done, he has endured himself. And that was what makes him such a great Savior. It's incredible for me to think that our king, not only does he want to help us, but he wants to experience what we're going through, too. He has overcome sin. He has overcome suffering. That's why he can be our savior. Now, I also I also want to tell you guys this, though. Uh, While we can relate to our savior in every way, there are some things that our savior can do that we cannot. You know, Jesus is our friend and we can be his friend and. But, but it gets to a point where, you know what, God's our father and we're his child. Uh, you know, he's the groom and we're, we're the bride. You know, he is, he's the shepherd and, and we're his sheep. 
And we have to be willing to be led by him. We have to let God be our shepherd. I want to put up another slide that shows you uh, who Jesus is as our shepherd and what he does. The first thing is this, that Jesus pursues us. In this passage in Matthew, Jesus talks about a sheep who is lost. And he says, you know, if, if one sheep goes missing, I will go and I will do whatever I can to bring that sheep back. And it's the same thing for you. If you, you as an individual are lost, Jesus will pursue you. He wants to find you and bring you back because he loves you. Going back to that idea that C.S. Lewis presents us, that if you're the only person, if you're the only person on this earth that he ever made, he would do everything he did. He would go through all of that just for one. Because you, you know, as a church, you were important to him, but you as an individual are precious to him as well. Jesus pursues us. Another thing that he does is he celebrates us. He says this, when I find that sheep, there's rejoicing. You know, there's rejoicing over one sinner saved. You know, when somebody comes to Jesus, even if it's just one, uh, heaven's having a party. They're going crazy. The angels are dancing and singing. It's awesome. And, you know, I think of the huge revivals like the Billy Graham Crusades. And I'm sure that God is very pleased with those as well. I'm sure there's rejoicing in heaven for those mass revivals. But I'm telling you that when one sinner comes home, the party starts again and people get excited and God is rejoicing. God celebrates his children. The shepherd celebrates the sheep that he has found. And lastly, and this goes back to the idea that that our shepherd does some things that we can't do. Our shepherd sacrifices for us. Our shepherd saves us. I'm going to turn over here real quick to John chapter 10. I'm going to read a passage in verse, starting with verse 11. Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand is not, and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down the life for my sheep. You have a shepherd who, he's, he's not just a hired hand. I want you to know that today. Our Savior is not a hired hand. Our Savior knows us. To quote another person, a preacher named Charles Spurgeon, he says this, he says, A Jesus that never wept could never wipe away my tears. Jesus pursues us because he's not just a hired hand. He knows us, he loves us, and he wants to sacrifice and save us. Jesus will truly lay down his life, not just for all, but even for the one. And I don't know about you, but that's pretty encouraging to me. And I want to close uh, with another story from Scripture. And, you know, I hate to jump over to another passage Uh, But it's just one of my favorite stories, and I think it illustrates who Jesus is and how he can relate to us so well. Um, You're welcome to turn to Mark chapter 5 if you want, but I'm just going to paraphrase the story. Um, There are two characters with Jesus in this. Uh, And I'll talk about the first one. Uh, His name's Jairus. uh, And Jairus is uh, what Scripture tells us, uh, the ruler of a synagogue. So here's what we can deduct about Jairus. Well, first of all, he's a man. And in that culture, being a man was already a mark in his favor. That's, that's good. It's good to be a man in that culture. Um, and number two, because he was a synagogue ruler, he was probably in high standing in a social sense. Uh, he probably did pretty well for himself in a financial sense. And then in a religious sense, he was respected by the other teachers of the law. So essentially, 
to be Jairus, that's a good life, okay? A lot of people would love to be in Jairus' sandals. But here's the problem. Jairus has a daughter, uh, and she's dying. And he doesn't really know where to turn. He doesn't really know where to go. But he hears about that Jesus of Nazareth. And he's heard what he can do. He's, he's been told all the stories. So he says, I'm going to go find him. So he goes to Jesus. And he says, teacher, please. I'm desperate. My daughter's dying. I'll do anything. Please come help me save her. And so Jesus, of course, in his goodness, goes with him. And on the way, we meet the second character. There's an interruption in the story. And this second character is nothing like Jairus. They have absolutely nothing in common. Uh, this character is, is a sick woman. Um, and it says that she has had a disease for some 12 years. Uh, it's a disease that's described to be similar to hemorrhaging. Okay, so let's see what we can deduct with her. Well, first of all, she's a woman. And unfortunately, in that culture, that's already a mark against her. She's sick. That's also a mark against her. People look at her and say, man, what did you do to make God angry? And lastly, it says in, in, the, in the text that she had tried uh, all, all kinds of doctors and physicians to help her heal, but none of them worked. Uh, and so that makes me believe that she's probably spent her last dime trying to find somebody, anybody who can fix her. And she doesn't really know what to do, but she hears about Jesus of Nazareth. And she's heard what he can do, and she's been told all the stories, and she says, if I could just touch his cloak, maybe I'll be healed. And of course, you, you might know the end of this story. She goes and she touches his cloak and Jesus uh, confronts her and, and he heals her. And then he goes and he heals Jairus' daughter. So it's a happy ending. But what I love so much about that story is you have two characters who are on the complete opposite ends of the social spectrum. A poor, sickly woman, a rich man who's a leader of a synagogue. They have absolutely nothing in common except they both need the same Savior. Please remember this. It doesn't really matter who you are. Maybe you're rich. Maybe you're poor. Maybe, maybe you're royalty. Maybe you're a peasant. Maybe you're a shepherd. Maybe you're a Pharisee. I don't know. Maybe you're wealthy. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you're feeling great. But I want you to know that all of you have the same Savior. No matter who you are, where you come from, what your social standing is. God brings us good news of great joy. But that's not even the best part. The best part is the end of that sentence. That it is for all people. So what I want you guys to know is this. Jesus can relate to you no matter who you are and he can save you. And if you could put that last slide up, I want you to remember that if you want Jesus as your savior, you must accept him as your shepherd. Please allow Jesus to pursue you and to celebrate you and the love you have for him, and let him save you because you can't save yourself. If you want the Savior, you have to accept the shepherd. And I want to encourage you, church, whether it's a love does day or just an ordinary day, I want you to look for ways that you can be that shepherd to other people as well, how you can pursue them and celebrate them, and how you can sacrifice your own time or your money or, or your help uh, to make those people's day better and to show them that our Savior, He is a King. And yes, He is the King of kings, rightfully so. But He's also a King of peasants and of shepherds and of poor people and rich people, of sick people and healthy people. Our Savior is truly for all. Let's pray. Dear God, thank You so much for Your truth uh, that You are for every person. 
Lord, thank you so much for not being content with uh, keeping your distance, but of being, being in us and all around us and near us. God, thank you so much that uh, not only do you give us the desire to know you, but you yourself hold the desire to be known by us. That is so special. God, I pray that this Christmas season, as we celebrate a, a season meant for, for gratitude and thankfulness, that we would not lose uh, the gratitude we have for your son who has come down to be with us, uh, to shepherd us, and ultimately to save us. It's in your name I pray. Amen.